After the Virus, Episode 18, brought to you by After the Virus, a Survivalist Journal, available now at Amazon.com. The houseboat and the coded message were the apex of Will and Hope's sojourn. Now they have a mission, one that will take them back through a familiar landscape and into an unfamiliar one. But first, they must make it past traps that have been set for them. The end of episode 17 saw them despairing of the unrelenting snow. We are feeling a little like the Donner Party, but with better survival skills and a downhill path out once it stops snowing so hard, everything is either frozen or wet. January 15th. Woke up this morning to clear cold skies. The first time we have seen the sun in a week. We hastily dug out and assembled our gear, put on our snowshoes, which we have spent much time improving, and towed our supply travoy on skis behind us. We will not miss this snow camp. Going was slow, but steady, and the powdery snow as we followed Soldier Meadows all the way down to where it intersected with the highway to Chico and Deer Creek. The road was impassable to regular vehicles and showed no sign of having been plowed. But a snowed over trench down the center of the highway suggested a snowcat had been on the road prior to the recent storm. With this in mind, we crossed the road and started up the ridge that runs west between Mill and Deer Creek, more than a little concerned about the tracks we were leaving. Will said our goal was a camping area called Round Valley, but it got dark before we got there. We built a large fire to warm us through the night, and slept another night in the snow. January 16th. The depth of the snow has not lessened yet. Will said it would tomorrow. The path we are following traces the old Peter Lassen Trail that many Gold Rush era settlers used to get to California's Great Valley. It follows a long, high spine for many miles before descending. We passed Round Valley early on and have been at approximately 5,000 feet in elevation all day. We reach a spot where our path begins to descend and we have spectacular views of the sunset. As we prepare for what we hope is our last night in deep snow. January 17th. We're finally near the lower extent of the snow line after a few harrowing days. Looking forward to peacefully descending along the trail we had been traveling, when we heard the sound of a vehicle heading our way from behind us, we hastily threw our things together and hurried down the pathway. As expected, the route began dropping in elevation and the slope was tricky on our snowshoes. We had to abandon the travoy and jog, mostly canned foods. Our important gear was on our backs. As the sound grew nearer, we continually scanned behind us. As we approached an area of the trail that the immigrants had dubbed the Narrows, we caught a glimpse, a small track tank type vehicle about a quarter mile behind us. The Narrows were challenging for pioneers as the road dropped off steeply on the north side and was a nearly sheer cliff on the Deer Creek side with barely a wagon's width of trail. Our timing was either terrible or perfect. Just as we began crossing the narrows, the tank began shooting at us. Not bombs or mortars, but a continuous machine gun-like spray. We were an easy target on this narrow band. 
But the north side slope was exposed to the tank and not steep enough to help us. The very steep south side dropped 1,200 feet to Deer Creek. The first third of that, an unobstructed snowfield, then a drainage clogged with trees, and the last third was completely below the snow line. Having no choice, we dove off the south side and began sliding rapidly. Within no time, we were out of view of the tank, though it continued shooting. We worked hard to control our descent with hands and heels. Ripping our gloves to shreds in the process, we made it to the drainage and trees in no time, and then got up and ran from cover to cover. Meanwhile, the tank positioned itself as near to the narrows as it dared, at a point where it could shoot down into the canyon we were in. We could hear bullets whizzing down the slope as branches and leaves blew up near us, but none found their mark. It took us hours to reach Deer Creek, but Will said that one thing was certain. No vehicle could make it down the slope, nor could any travel along the rugged banks of this section of Deer Creek. Reaching the creek's edge in a remote area of the canyon, we followed overgrown game trails downstream the rest of the day to put as much distance between us and anyone who might be following. Although we were finally free of the snow, it was still very cold as we built a small fire by a large rock. We agreed to take shifts sleeping, so one of us could listen for pursuers. I slept from shortly after dusk until sometime in the middle of the night. Now Will is getting some sleep as I write. January 18th. I had coffee ready when Will awoke, just before sunrise, and we immediately continued working our way downstream. Travel was slow, as many sections featured near sheer walls on either side of the creek, in which case we had to climb higher, around and back down. In the afternoon, we became wary, as we passed an old footbridge indicating a nearby homestead. Will said he thought this was a place called Polk Springs and that a dirt road came down from the highway to the bluff above and opposite us. After a while, we thought we could make out the hum of a generator or perhaps a motor. Will suggested that he cross the creek and climb up the bluff to investigate it. I told him there was no way he was going without me, so we stashed all our gear except our weapons, forded the stream, and began the steep climb up. Working our way quietly along the heavily treed east side of the bluff, we actually climbed above it so that we could look down on it. Two military-style vehicles were parked. Four men were positioned at the edge of the bluff, two with binoculars and two with very big rifles. They were focused on the trail across the canyon, the one we had been walking on. It appeared they had been waiting for us. We had just one rifle, one handgun, and a bow with us. The handgun and bow were useless from this range, about 200 yards away. Will was certain he could take one of the snipers out with the rifle. The second was a less sure thing, and there was no telling what the two others would do when the shooting started. I said, let me sneak in behind the trucks. When the shooting starts, I'll be ready with my pistol. To which Will replied, Quick shooting the rifle with only one hand is iffy. How about I sneak down to the truck with the handgun, and you take out the snipers? We were in agreement. I watched as Will made his way ever so slowly to the edge of the bush. He then had to cross about 20 yards of open space to get behind the trucks. About halfway across, one of the spotters started for the trucks to get something. 
I saw Will quicken his pace and then saw the soldier pull his gun and run towards the back of the truck where Will had leapt to. Suddenly, everyone was in motion. I pulled the scope to my eye, found a rising sniper and the crosshairs, and squeezed. I blinked at the shot, then when I looked up, I found the other sniper and followed his form as he ran towards the trucks. Leading him ever so slightly, I fired. Then re-found him in the scope, rolling on the ground, looking back quickly for the first sniper. I could only see his rifle now, laying near where he had been. There was so much action, I didn't even hear what was happening with Will. Pulling the scope from my eye, I saw the truck leap forward. Saw another man down and Will chasing the truck, firing. With his last shot, the truck veered towards the edge of the bluff and then off the canyon rim. The sound of the vehicle crashing through the trees as it rolled down the steep hillside didn't stop until it hit the creek. I continued to watch from a distance as Will checked each body. The soldier he had shot, then the sniper I had shot on the run, who is now lying mostly still. Will stripped his weapons from him, then went to look for the other sniper. Looking over the edge of the bluff next to the rifle, he gave me a thumbs up with his only thumb. He climbed down and stripped additional weapons from the corpse. Then he motioned me to come down. As I got closer, he shouted to me, That's what they mean by single-handedly. It was the most animated I have seen Will in months. Good shooting, he said as he gave me a one-armed hug. We then searched the soldiers more carefully. Surprisingly, they carried no identification material. No ID cards, no badges, not even wallets. And the olive green trucks were unmarked. Their outfits were a mix of army green, khaki, and camouflage clothing. We had no idea who was hunting us. Or why. We took both of the sniper rifles, and the pistols and two holsters, and as much ammunition as we could carry. We briefly discussed taking the truck and driving the road back but we felt that our chances were better sticking to the wilderness. It was after dark when we got back to our packs, so we climbed 50 yards above the trail, found a semi-flat spot, threw out our bags, and slept hard all night. January 20th. This morning we talked about what to expect ahead. According to Will, below us were two bridges, one in a place called Transfer that had been destroyed in recent floods the other at the bottom of a road called Ponderosa Way. Will suspected that we would run into more soldiers there. On the north side of the bridge, the road parallels the creek for a ways, so they'd have plenty of chances to shoot at us near the water. The south side is extremely steep, and the road makes a number of switchbacks descending the canyon. There's a prominent rock formation there. If we can climb to the top of it, we can use the sniper rifles to get the advantage. With packs made heavier by additional weapons, we spent all day hiking cautiously along the creek towards the crossing. In the afternoon, we dropped our packs, crossed over to the south side, and began climbing towards the rock formation, with just the sniper rifles, pistols, and a little food. By dark, we were tired and sweaty from climbing our way through dense vegetation. We burrowed into a dense thicket of manzanita, had a cold meal, and covered ourselves with leaves and duff to try to stay warm. We are concerned about our diminishing food supply, as there has been little else to eat. We are hopeful that, if we make it past Ponderosa Way, 
We will be able to start hunting again. January 21st. After a cold and uncomfortable night, we start hiking. Feeling secure that we could not be seen along the difficult route we were taking to the rock formation. We had climbed a brutally steep and overgrown slope, then crept or crawled from patch to patch of trees, twice dropping into a bramble-choked side canyon. Before making the last difficult ascent of the prominent rock outcropping that overlooked the bridge and the road, we rested briefly on the backside of the rock before creeping to near the top, where we had a panoramic view. Our position was shielded by large boulders surrounding the peak of the rock. We spent an hour identifying all the threats below us. Just as Will had guessed, there were soldiers at the bridge, a truck on either side, two men on the bridge, two standing at the trucks. A third truck seemed to be patrolling the road. We watched it creep to the top of the second switchback, 700 feet below us, then back down across the bridge and along the road that paralleled the north bank of the creek. The bridge itself was about 1,000 feet away, a very doable shot, according to Will. We'll want to take out the patrol guys first. The tough part of that is there are probably two guys in the truck. Getting them both at once is unlikely. We'll see where that goes. As soon as the other guys hear the shot, they'll either make themselves small, run, or hide. We'll be able to see them from here, so we've got a good chance of picking them off. The guys near the trucks will either get in the trucks or hide behind them. They are our second targets after the patrollers. Once we take care of the guys at the trucks, we'll clean up the remaining guys hiding on the bridge. So, you take the patrol vehicle first. When it reaches the closest point to us, take out the driver. Then wait to get a shot at the passenger. We'll set your scope on the sniper rifle at 250 yards. I'll take the two guys at the trucks. Once you're done, reset your scope to 350 yards and start working on the bridge guys. We took our time finding comfortable rests for the guns and readying our ammo. We ate some power bars and took big drinks of water. Then we calmed our breathing and waited for the patrol vehicle to reach the switchback. Will said, I'll wait until you take the first shot. I watched as the patrol truck crossed the bridge and chugged up the grade. As he approached the switchback, I had my best view of him through the windshield as he slowed to make the turn. I shot and the truck made a hard right, slowed, then made a hard left into the bank in front of it and stalled. I was aware that Will was shooting, but kept my sights on the patrol truck. After what seemed like 30 seconds, I saw a head peek around the back of the truck. He could tell that the shot had come from in front of the truck, but had no idea from how far away. I assumed this was the passenger and that I had taken out the driver. Will's gun continued to fire as I waited for the second man to make a move. His move caught me off guard. Instead of coming into view, he ran across the road behind the truck and dove into the brushy ditch on the inside of the switchback. This unexpected move left me wondering whether to stick with the original plan or help Will with the bridge. After seeing no movement, I reset my sights and switched to the bridge. Scanning the scene through the scope, I could see that the two drivers were lying motionless next to their vehicles. One man lay dead on the bridge. The last guy climbed over the side and is climbing along the girders underneath the bridge. Just keep watching. What happened to your guys? I assume the driver's dead. The passenger jumped into a ditch before I could shoot at him. I replied, You stay on him. I'll wait this guy out, said Will. 
So we sat and waited and waited and waited. We began to worry about reinforcements arriving. After about 20 minutes, Will said, One of us will have to go down to get him while the other stays here to provide cover. We decided that Will would take the pistol, and I would keep watch on the two last locations. I scanned for movement as Will made his way down towards the ditch my guy had jumped into. I could see him cautiously approach the spot, kneeling. Then I watched as he dropped into the ditch and he was out of my sight, so I went back and watched the bridge. The truck on the near side blocked my view of a corner of the bridge, so I didn't see the soldier hidden beneath the bridge come up and get into the truck. The first knowledge was the moving truck and the roar of the engine as it took off up the road. As it headed away from me, towards the first switchback, I could only take moving shots at the rear window with no effect. As he approached the second switchback, nearest me, he got low in the seat and though I shot through the window, it did not stop him. He slid past the other truck and past Will's last location, and I could hear him continue up the canyon. Meanwhile, Will came back onto the road, threw up his arms, and motioned me down. We need to get out of here before it gets hot. We can't worry about that last guy for now. We need to get out of here, Will said nervously when I got to him. The problem was that our packs were a mile above us and we wanted to get down the canyon. There was no way we were forfeiting our gear if we could avoid it. We searched the trucks for anything useful and found a number of MREs, military for meals ready to eat, as well as some jerky and power bars, which we ate on the run. Although we would have loved to have more guns, we simply couldn't carry much more weight, so we hid the guns as best we could under the bridge in case we ever returned to this spot, but did take as much additional ammo as we thought we could carry. With that, we crossed the bridge, and literally jogged the trail the mile or so back to our packs. It was late afternoon when we reached our packs. Rather than take the main trail back downstream, we decided to head uphill for a ways, then parallel the creek on a treed bench above and out of sight of the road and the bridge. Two more hours brought us to a small tributary creek. We headed up it until we found a ledge looking down on the creek where we set up a dark camp and ate MREs. January 24th. After three quarters of a year, we are wondering if the wilderness is really any safer than anywhere else. Certainly with the relentless hunting of these militia men, it is questionable. This is very rugged country and progress was slow as we skirted what Will says is Iron Mountain. We're not even sure where we're going now. Short-term hiding place or long-term shelter. With so much danger this last week, I suspect we'll keep going until we're off their radar. Coming over a rise, Will said, I know this place. We're near the cabin of the couple we saw last year. Sure enough, in another hour we could see the cabin in the distance. We sat and listened for a while, and eventually heard activity. We snuck closer and watched. Finally, the door opened, and there was the woman. The same woman we had seen here six months ago. Thanks again for the pleasure of your company, and don't forget to order the ebook or paperback at Amazon.com or locally in Chico at the bookstore.